0: It's football season, I'm a football fan, are you? Now listen, we all know it's not right to judge a coach by how he dresses, whether that's Bill Belichick in his hoodies or the venerable Tom Landry in his suit and fedora. We don't judge a coach by how he dresses. We judge coaches by wins and losses, right? Right? We judge coaches by their ability to produce results. Same thing for senators. Same thing for CEOs. Same things for surgeons. We're looking for results. The question presented in our sermon text this morning is very interesting. The question we find arising out of our text is this. How do we judge God's servants? How do we evaluate the success or failure of gospel ministers and gospel ministry? Do we do it based on wins and losses? Do we do it based on results? Well, that's the tricky part about gospel ministry. Wins and losses and results in gospel ministry are not readily discernible. And and even further, God often calls his servants to a task that has no discernible fruit whatsoever. And yet they're accomplishing exactly what God has called them to do. So as we study our sermon text this morning, my prayer is that we will all understand how God evaluates gospel ministers and gospel ministry. Now, our sermon text is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. Would you please take your copy of God's Word, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. And as we read and explain this text this morning, I want to encourage you that there's at least three spheres of application of this text. As the Bible would say, "Yea, even (laughs) four. First, there's a direct application. The, The most specific direct application is to the Apostle Paul and some of the teachers of that day, like Apollos and Peter. That's the specific application of this text. But there's a, a more general application when it talks when we talk about gospel ministers, we're talking about guys like me. We're talking about local church pastors, we're talking about missionaries, we're talking about church planters and elders in God's church, those who serve the church with the gospel. But I want to suggest that it's not merely limited to those professional gospel ministers, but there's a broader application that I want all of you to understand as you listen to this and and you hear how God thinks about guys like me, your local church pastors and elders. I also want you to see the broad application for every Christian as you serve others with the gospel. and the most important part of that last sentence is serving others with the gospel it's not just general we're talking about gospel ministry here so as you endeavor to share the gospel with your children your family your neighbors your coworkers you are a gospel minister, you are a gospel servant, different than Paul and Apollos and Peter, maybe different than me. Sure. But in a broad sense, you're going to see here this morning, some of the ways God thinks about uh, gospel ministers and gospel ministry that will be vital for your own ministry of the gospel. Can you just Push pause for a moment and think about how you minister the gospel to others. Let's read our sermon text. 1 Corinthians chapter four, verse one through five. This is how one should regard us. Paul says as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me, therefore. Do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. This is God's word. So what we see here this morning are the role of gospel ministers, the responsibility of gospel ministers, and then the evaluation of gospel ministers. Specifically, Paul, Apostle, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul, Apollos, and Peter. Very directly, though, to local church elders... And then maybe even more broadly, as all Christians are involved in gospel ministry, the role of gospel ministers that we see here is in verse one. This is how one should regard us. Here's how you should view us or here's how you should think about us, the apostle Paul says, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Let's give some context to why Paul is talking about this. For those of you who have not been with us for about the past 10 weeks, the church at Corinth was a recent church plant, about four years old at this time, and the church was being torn apart over the issue of spiritual teachers. Uh, The church had divided themselves into four different groups, and they kind of aligned themselves into parties under four different spiritual teachers, uh, those who belonged to Paul, Paul, those who belong to Apollos, those who belong to the, uh, the local biker club, and then lo- those who said, uh, no, I'm with, well, I'm with Peter, uh, and those who said they're with Jesus. All right. So that's loud. Four factions. Church divided, being torn apart. So Paul addresses this. I told you last week that he takes so long to address this four chapters that it's the equivalent of about 15 other books of the Bible. In fact, that it's more than about six other books of the New Testament and the same as about eight or nine more. It's it's an amazing thing that shows you how serious of an issue this is. And we've said before that talking about this problem, it's kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Some of the people in Corinth had a view of their favorite gospel minister that was too high. They based their spiritual status on the fact that they were following that spiritual leader. Some of the people at Corinth had a view of their gospel uh, teacher that was too low. They felt like they were self-sufficient. They don't need human teachers. I just need Christ. And so what Paul is doing is he's giving them the baby bear perspective that is just right. And he's been doing that throughout chapter 3 and now into chapter 4. And how he's done it has been beautiful. It's been vibrant and brilliant. Paul uses three metaphors to help the church have the right perspective of God's church and God's servants. That's what we're talking about. God's church and God's servants. So he gives them three metaphors. Do you remember what they are? I bet you some kids know exactly what they are. Paul said the church is God's field and his servants are the laborers in the field. Uh, Then the second one was the church is like God's building and the laborers are the craftsmen who are involved in building the building. And then the third one, is that the church is God's temple. And the servants, like Paul and and Apollos and Peter, are like the ministers in the temple. Now, in chapter 4, he's going to give us a fourth metaphor. Paul is going to talk about the church as God's estate and his servants as stewards of the estate. Now, when you and I hear the word steward, we might think of the person who serves us the tiniest little pack of peanuts that you've ever seen on the airline. But here in the New Testament, a steward is a household manager. It's usually the chief slave or the chief servant who had earned the most trust of the owner of the house. And now the owner of the house has entrusted his estate and the management of his estate to this particular servant in so far as would often... Make this particular household manager, this steward, responsible for all of his finances. So the church is God's estate and the servants are God's stewards. And what Paul says here is that we, Paul, Apollos, Peter, we are the household managers of God, which is a very important role. But remember... God still owns the house. And what is it specifically that they steward? Look at the end of verse 1. The mysteries of God. See that? This is how you should regard us as servants of Christ and Stewards, household managers of the estate, but specifically of the mysteries of God. What God has put into the hands of the Apostle Paul and Apollos and Peter is the mysteries of God. What is that? The mysteries of God is the New Testament way of talking about the gospel. The mysteries of God. In chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, we have seen that the mystery of God is God's plan to redeem sinners through Christ and Him crucified. And Paul, in chapter 1, labored to, to remind us that Christ and Him crucified is foolishness to the world. But to those who are being saved, it is the what? It's the power and wisdom of God. The mysteries of God are not understood by natural thinking people. But the spiritual mysteries of God are understood by spiritual people because of the illumination of the Holy Spirit of God. Paul has the gospel in his hands. It's God's gospel. And he has been entrusted with this gospel to serve God's people, God's church. You remember one time Paul talked to his uh, young protege, Timothy, and he said, Timothy, Take that which has been entrusted to you and be faithful with it. Don't shy away from it, but keep it pure. Keep the gospel pure because you've been entrusted with it. So he gives us this fourth metaphor that the church is God's estate. We are God's servants and the gospel is God's treasure. And that is how you should view the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, and your local church elders. We're God's stewards. That's a pretty important role. But friends, just like your local church elder, you have been entrusted with the gospel. You have been given the gospel and called to be the ambassador of God here on earth. It's not your gospel. It's God's gospel. But we steward God's gospel as we share it with others. And here in this text, Paul wants to highlight the role of the gospel ministers. And one of the reasons that he's doing this is because they are. They're thinking lightly. Of. Of. At least three out of the four, are they not? Some said, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Peter. But then others said, what? Yeah, we don't need you. We're only of Christ. They thought lightly. Paul wants to say to them, what are you talking about? You can't think lightly of of the human instrument through which God ministers to their church. They're a vital role. They're not everything, but they're vital in the process. They are God's stewards. And here in this case, Paul is being judged wrongfully. When, When we go through that list, you might hear four nice little groups, but Paul uses the word torn apart when he talks about what's happening in the church. They're tearing the, par- the church apart. In other words, this group over here who says, I'm of Paul, is despising Peter. So Paul, in this particular case, is being being uh, wrongfully judged by Seventy five percent of the church. Those who say I'm of Peter, I'm of Apollos and I'm of Christ, say I am not of Paul. That's what's going on in chapter four. So chapter four has a decisive turn. Chapter four is now Paul's personal defense. of, Of why they should not be against him and for someone else. So far, he's been pretty general. But three out of the four factions in the church were decidedly against Paul. So he gives a personal defense. Last week, at the end of chapter three, Paul said, you do not belong to us. We belong to you. You remember that? God has given us to you as your servants. This week, he's going to say, God has given us to you. But we're not accountable to you. We're accountable to God alone. He's the master of the house. So we should regard gospel ministers as God's stewards. They're not nothing. They're not everything. They are stewards over God's estate, charged by God to serve his church. And that, my friends, is a very important role. Number two, we see the responsibility of gospel ministers, in verse 2. Moreover, it's required of stewards... Oh, 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 what's required? Okay. Your stewards, what is required of stewards? Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. Number one responsibility of stewards is that they be faithful. Anthony Thistleton, who is a Greek expert, says that when this word... Faithful is used, it has a double nuance, and the nuance is faithful to the task on one side and trustworthy by the one who gave them the task on the other. So you have this steward who is faithful and trustworthy. The household manager must be faithful to the wishes and instructions of the owner of the estate and then trustworthy. With the administration of the resources which have been put into his possession. What good is a steward if you can't trust them? So the number one thing that you're looking for in someone that you're going to entrust your estate to. Is somebody who's going to be trustworthy. Someone who's going to be faithful. Paul wants to emphasize that this is how you judge God's servants. Are they, what's the key word? Faithful. Now in chapter 1, he told us this is not how you judge the other people who are the teachers in society. When they come to town, the sophists, the wise teachers in Greek society, how do you judge them? Well, they come to town with their pomp and their circumstance and their eloquence. So they're judged according to their oratory skills. They're judged according to their rhetoric. They're judged according to their ability to wow the crowd. They're judged according to the size of the audience. Do you see the application? We don't judge the faithfulness, the success of local church pastors by their eloquence, their rhetoric, their ability to wow anyone or the size of the crowd. We don't judge pastors or apostles the same way we judge coaches. Faithfulness is not all of these things. But success as a steward of God is one simple word. Faithfulness. Success is faithfulness. Specifically, faithfulness concerning what? Look at the text. Faithfulness concerning what is it that specifically Paul identifies has been put into their hands? The mysteries of God, the gospel. So as we judge gospel ministers and gospel ministry, the question is, are they faithfully sharing Christ and him crucified? Or is it a watered-down gospel that leaves out a whole lot of stuff so as to attract the crowd and win the popularity contest? Or are they using the gospel to promote themselves in some way? Success in God's ministry, gospel ministry, is a tricky business. For example, how would you evaluate a 40 year preaching ministry in which no one listened? Ask Isaiah. How would you evaluate five Christian missionaries who left their homes and their families in 1956 to take the gospel to a primitive tribe in Ecuador? They went there and just as they began to teach the gospel, they were all martyred by that very tribe. And no one responded to their message. How would you judge that ministry? Someday you might ask Jimmy, Jim Elliott. And his team. But in both cases. God will evaluate them as successful. Why? Because they were keyword faithful. How do you judge a parent who faithfully shares and lives the gospel with their children? And yet that child rejects the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you judge an employee who faithfully, daily lives out the gospel in front of her co-workers and sees no fruit whatsoever? Insert family, insert neighborhood, insert classroom. The responsibility of gospel ministers is. One word. Faithfulness. And so verse three through five, we see the evaluation of gospel ministers. We've seen the role and the responsibility. Now we look at the evaluation, verse three through five, and this is what the church was doing. They were evaluating Paul. They were determining uh, a judgment about him. Good or bad. Judgment's not always a bad word. It's. We all do it, right? We all come to conclusions. Question is, are you coming to the proper conclusion based on the right criteria? And are you supposed to be judging in the first place? Verse 3 through 5. Paul says with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am thereby but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. Because it's the Lord who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. It's the Lord who will disclose the purposes of the heart. And then, on that day, when the Lord comes, each one will receive his commendation from God. What a thick, and wonderful paragraph. I want you to notice Paul talks about the reality of judgment, a warning about judgment, the problem with judgment, and then an exhortation about judging. Gospel ministers and gospel ministry. First of all, did you notice the reality of judgment? It happens. Gospel ministers are judged. It's a reality of life. I know. That there's conversations when you get in the car driving home. I know that sometimes I'm being roasted over lunch. And we've all done it. It would be something other than human not to. Paul speaks of three kinds of human judgment. First of all, did you notice in verse 3, the church judged Paul in his ministry. Secondly, the society judged Paul in his ministry. See there in verse three, Paul says, I'm judged by human court. Now, that might be the court of public opinion, or Paul was plenty of time brought up before the Roman or the Jewish courts. Actually, I don't know if he was ever brought up before the Jewish court, so scratch that. He was before the Roman court for sure. But Paul says the church judges Gospel ministers and ministry, society judges them. And then this third one, very interesting, Paul judged Paul and his ministry. <laughs> and don't you know that every, every pastor worth of salt is doing that too. But here's the point. All three of them are fallible. All three of them are inaccurate. There's not one of those three that we can trust. Paul says, look, my conscience is clear, but my conscience is not the final authority. The Lord's verdict is about my ministry. So then he talks about the fourth kind of judgment, the Lord who judges me at the end of verse four. It is the Lord who judges me, says Paul, me, says Tim, and you. Christian and non-Christian. But because of that, look at the very beginning of verse 5. There is a warning. The warning against judgment. Do not pronounce judgment prematurely. Don't do it before the time, before the Lord comes. Now, I think that word prematurely is very important. Is Paul telling us here that we should not evaluate gospel ministers and gospel ministry? Are we to blindly follow anyone who claims to be a gospel minister? No. The the apostle Paul is the same guy who has gone to great lengths to give clear qualifications for those who lead God's church that we're supposed to read and examine and then assess. The Apostle Paul is the same guy who gives clear warnings about false teachers. Paul is not telling us, turn off your brain and just follow anyone who claims to be a gospel Minister. What he is doing is he is warning us that our human evaluation of gospel ministers and their ministry is limited, not accurate, and therefore cannot be trusted, friends. We must leave the final judgment to the Lord. Because there's a problem. There's a problem with human judgment. Do you see it there? Paul says there's three factors that limit our ability to judge in verse 5. There's a time factor, there's a hidden things factor, and there's a heart motivations factor. Look at those in verse 5. There's a time factor that we can't predict. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment when? Before the time. We don't know what God's going to do with the seed. We don't know who's good ground and who's not. We don't know God's sovereign plan. All we know is that our responsibility is to sow. And enthusiastic sowers will sow the gospel everywhere including the street. Right? I mean, That guy in Matthew 13 was throwing it in the, the on the rocks and in the bushes and on the good ground. He was just Prolific with the gospel. That's faithfulness. But you can't judge results by that. It's up to God. God knows the good ground. God determines the growth. There's a time factor that we can't predict. Secondly, there there are hidden things that we can't see. Look there in verse 5. When the Lord comes... Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness? There are things that we cannot see. Good things. Bad things that you and I can't see. But God does. Gospel ministers sometimes do bad things. Bible warns about this and we've all seen it, haven't we? So-called men of God who actually are involved in a sinful lifestyle that's hidden from the public view. Stewards. Who pilfer. From God's money. Shepherds who fleece. God's flock Friends the master of the house will expose these hidden bad things in the end You can be sure Second Peter chapter 2 warns of false teachers who exploit people with false words because of their greed They're out there They're hidden not always easily identifiable. Peter calls them accursed children and says that if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, the ancient world of Noah, Sodom and Gomorrah, God will not spare them. Quote, for them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. You can Be sure the master of the house will bring them to judgment. And even though we can't see those hidden things, God can. But there's not just bad hidden things. There's a lot of good things that are hidden. There's a lot of good things that you never see that's going on in gospel ministry, friends. Like, like agonizing over souls, like private moments of counsel and admonition when necessary, when, when it's hard. To talk to someone about a sinful lifestyle. But faithful stewards do it. Good things like serving in a million ways behind the scenes. So that visible gospel ministry can happen. There are a lot of of good things that are hidden. Especially consistent fervent prayer. Asking God to do the work of regeneration, the miracle of regeneration in those with whom we have shared the gospel. There's a million hidden things. And the same master of the house who will judge the bad but hidden things says this. Your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Isn't that beautiful? Faithful servant, your father sees the hidden things. When he comes, he will reward you openly. Keep reading in verse five. We need to let God judge because not only can God bring to light hidden things, but only God can disclose heart motives. See that in verse five? Don't judge before the Lord comes who will disclose the purposes of the heart. You know, sometimes gospel ministers do gospel ministry for the wrong reasons. And God knows those reasons. Hebrews chapter 4 says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Sinful motives will be exposed by God. Righteous motives are known and disclosed by God. But we simply can't discern the the heart motives of a gospel minister. We're naive to it. Human judgment is limited. We've got to let God judge. Only God can judge his stewards. Only God knows what he'll accomplish in time. Only God can bring uh, the hidden things to light. Only God can disclose the heart motives. And then look at the end of verse five. We need to let God judge because only God can give his praise. At the end of verse five, when the Lord comes, then each one, each steward of the house will receive his commendation from the Lord. God's the one who assigned them to their task. God knows his purposes in them and through them. So it's only God who knows whether he's pleased. You remember the parable in, in Matthew chapter five? The owner of the estate gave an allotment of money to three different servants. He gave one servant five allotments another servant two allotments and another servant one allotment but do you know what's no, what's amazing about that story is that all three servants were judged based on exactly the same thing were they keyword faithful with what they had been given and they all two of them at least received the same commendation quote well done good and Faithful servant, you have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So we see the role of God's ministers. We see the responsibility of God's ministers. And we see the evaluation. We can't judge. Our judgment, our evaluation... It's very limited. Only God can judge. Because gospel ministers are his stewards. So I just want to suggest four big takeaways for us all. Everybody in the room, four big takeaways. Number one, this text has given us an instruction on how to view gospel ministers, hasn't it? We should look at elders, other pastors, teachers. We should thank God for the apostles and the the teachers in the Bible. We should regard them as God's stewards. They're not nothing. They're not everything. They're stewards. Really important role over God's estates. We ought to be thankful for them. And we ought to follow them. I love how Paul says this elsewhere. As they follow Christ, but only as far as they follow Christ and no more. Because they'll be judged by God based on his principles of faithfulness, won't they? Number two, big takeaway. This text has given given us a warning not to judge gospel ministers or gospel ministry prematurely. We can't judge Gospel ministers the same way we judge football coaches or singers based on results and performance. You shouldn't judge your elders that way either. Parents, neither should you judge your parenting. If it's gospel ministry, then the goal is faithfulness. Success is faithfulness. Only God can assess the faithfulness to his assignment. Only God can know what he's going to accomplish over time. Only God can bring to light hidden things, disclose heart purposes, and only God can give his praise. We just have a warning to not judge gospel ministers prematurely. Number three, this text has given us an exhortation. It's the flip side of the warning. The flip side of the warning is that we should be those faithful servants. And I told you at the beginning of this sermon, I want to encourage every Christian here to that you have been given the gospel, not like an apostle, not, not even like a, a vocational pastor, but you've been given the gospel. You are to steward that gospel In your sphere of influence. How you doing? Be faithful. That's your goal. Don't worry about the results. Do you remember in Mark chapter 4. Jesus told an amazing story. About another farmer. Who went out and he sowed the seed. And then do you know what he did next? He went to sleep. Because that's what you do. The story goes on to say. That he that he doesn't understand how the seed buds, sprouts, grows, and all that stuff. He says the earth takes care of all of that. The point is the sower did his job, and then he rested that God will do his. That's what I'm doing here, have been for 10 years. Parents, that's what you need to do. Co- uh, Friends, uh, employees, employers, that's what you need to do in your sphere of influence. Plant the seed Do your job and then God will do his whatever he wants. You can rest. You don't have to fret. Success is faithfulness. I want to give you one last application. And it's the gospel application of all of this. You know what Paul ultimately wants us to do here? He wants to take the eyes of the church at Corinth off of their spiritual leaders and put them on Jesus Christ. He doesn't want them to boast or glory in Paul, Apollos, Peter. He just wants them to glory in God alone. So this text gives us the gospel. Christ is the manager of God's house. God sent his son to redeem sinners so that we can be adopted as God's sons. And now we have an eternal inheritance with Christ. That's what Zach read for us earlier. Christ is the mystery of God. Christ is the mystery of how God redeems sinners like me. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone and for God's Glory alone. Friends, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you can turn away from your autonomous life. You can turn away from sin and turn to Christ today. You can put your faith in Jesus Christ and he will. Wash your sins away. Make you righteous and give you an inheritance for all of eternity. By faith and grace, not by works. Because Christ is the mystery of God. And you know what? Ultimately, friend, our salvation, everything we have in Christ is ultimately dependent on his faithfulness, not ours. Aren't you glad about that? Oh, come all you unfaithful. Because Jesus is the faithful one of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And finally, here's the gospel. Christ is the one who was judged for our sin. So that we will never be judged for our sin. And we will only stand before God and be judged for our service. You know what that does? That frees us to just go serve and be faithful. We don't have to earn anything. We just go. He's already been judged. He extinguished the wrath of God. He drank the cup of God's wrath so that we can enjoy the wine of God's grace. Now we can live free to serve so that on that day we will hear. Well done. You good and faithful servant. I put you in charge of little. But you've been faithful. Now I'm going to set you over much. Enter into the joy. Of your Lord, it's good. Pray with me, please, Father. I want to thank you for the fact that you have you have saved us through the service and sacrifice of Christ, and you have now given those of us who have been redeemed. You have given us the gospel to be your stewards and to to carry that gospel to other sinners just like us you have given us the privilege to to share the good news of forgiveness of sins and eternal life through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ I pray that you would find us faithful I pray for me I pray for the those Who would be elders of our church, that you would find us faithful servants, stewards over this, your house. I pray for every Christian here who is a faithful steward of your gospel to their children, to their family, to their workplace. I pray that you would allow us the freedom and joy to do the work and leave the results with you. And you would give us your grace to not judge one another based on the wrong criteria. Not even to judge ourselves, but just endeavor with joy to be faithful. And I pray that you would do the miracle of gospel ministry through even jars of clay like us. We pray and we thank you for this in Jesus name. Amen.